Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story, read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Jason Duro about his debut novel, Akathar's Greatest Trick. Over the next two weeks, you will learn how much he plans out his novels, how he built his TikTok following, and what he sees coming next for his Teshavar series. Demon, scientist, charlatan, or sorcerer. The great Akathar is the most famous stage musician in a realm where real magic is outlawed. Over the past decade, Akathar and his troupe have built a reputation and a home in the dense coastal city of Cluebridge. Every night, he thrills audiences with his controversial performances. Backstage, Akathar hides a secret more dangerous than any of his engineered illusions. Far inland, an ancient and mysterious tyrant dispatches an elite band of mage hunters to crush magical insurrection. When their hunt brings them to Cluebridge, they suspect that Akathar's magic might be more than mere stage trickery. Akathar and his company will have to rely on a cunning heist, desperate improvisation, and the art of deception to save their theater and even their very lives. Akathar's Greatest Trick is the first novel in Jason Duro's epic fantasy Teshavar series. The diverse cast of characters, found family themes, and surprising revelations set in a gaslamp world of magic and trickery make this a must-read for fans of Brandon Sanderson, Susanna Clark, and Aaron Morgenstern. So your name is Jason Duro, and I, I actually found you on TikTok promoting your book and just talking about being an author in general. I didn't realize that your debut novel just came out last year. Um, so I was, yeah. I was, you know, that's, that's, and you told me that you, you've done podcasting and stuff in the past as well. Um, so the, the premise of this show is it's twofold. So the name of the show is Freya's fairy tales and that's, that's twofold. So fairy tales, everyone as a kid has some kind of fairy tale that you either watched the movie or you liked a book that had that fairy tale in it or whatever the case may be, but also for authors, you spend, you know, weeks, months, years writing a book. And so once you're able to either traditionally publish or self-publish that book, that's a bit of a fairy tale for you as well, getting to that point where, oh my gosh, my book is in print now. Um, so as as a kid starting back at the very beginning, um, is there, you know, any particular fairy tale that you remember story-wise that you really, really liked as a kid? And did that change from when you were a kid to, you know, a teenager or grown up? Did your favorite change? 
Yeah, it's um, it's kind of interesting because uh, I uh, certainly have grown up with uh, knowing fairy tales and uh, seeing them mostly exposed when I was younger through like the Disney cartoons and things like that. But uh, when I was younger, the uh, I, I guess it was uh, I don't even remember how old I was. I was a kid, but the uh, Disney movie that uh, grabbed me was not even a traditional fairy tale. But I think it served sort of the purpose that uh, that fairy tales did for a lot of kids. Um, I just became obsessed with Disney's The Black cauldron when i was a kid and, <laughs> okay. uh, and yeah that that was um, my first real exposure to fantasy fiction at all and mm -hmm. uh, i was just all in on that it had uh, sort of the uh, the whole chosen one thing and it had dragons in it it had monsters and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and uh, and it just pulled me in and uh, and i was just along the path after that and mm -hmm. i i still like it i haven't um, it's been a few years since i've watched it and i i think it's one of those things that if i had found it later in life it probably wouldn't have hit me as as directly as it did mm -hmm. but uh, it got me into reading the original books that it was based on the chronicles of Pridane and uh, got me into uh, just this whole path of fantasy later on and now I'm an epic fantasy writer so I, I guess it kind of uh, led me somehow to this <laughs> <laughs> so is that like is that still your favorite or did that kind of change over time to where now, now you have a, a new favorite in that genre that helps shape your books or just in general yeah, I, I think that it was very influential to me early on in getting me into the genre. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's uh, necessarily as uh, as complex as a lot of the things that I like nowadays uh, mm -hmm. as far as uh, as reading. I uh, I think one of my favorite fantasy series now is the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, those were really influential specifically on my writing and on, uh, on sort of honing my craft and figuring out exactly what I wanted to do with this. So mm -hmm. uh, when, when people ask uh, sort of what got me uh, started along this path. It's usually the Black Cauldron from the fantasy side. And then I also was a huge Star Wars kid. And <laughs> and so that that really got me into it as well. So uh, mm -hmm. so that's that's sort of where I came from. And then where I ended up now is I, um, I'm very focused on uh, sort of complex stories set in speculative universes mm -hmm. and uh, having sort of complex magic systems and politics and all that in it, which the, uh, the Black Cauldron didn't really have all of that, but it was a good introduction to it for me. Mm -hmm. So now at what age did you um, know or start thinking you might want to be a writer? Like, was there anything that specifically influenced you starting to write? Did you have a couple false starts earlier on? Uh, how did you get to actually publishing a book? Yeah, when I was uh, was uh, younger, probably in elementary school, I guess, I was really into uh, reading mystery books. I got into, uh, I can't remember what I got into first, but eventually I found like Agatha Christie and mm -hmm. I was reading like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I really wanted to be a mystery writer at that time. And so I started writing short stories and was uh, writing just um, little typical murder mystery kind of things and was sending them off. Um, when I was in uh, middle school, I started sending them off to magazines like Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine and Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, mm -hmm. and was trying to get uh, just a short story published. And uh, here and there, I would get something put into a magazine, nothing uh, as big as those, but just like little literary magazines. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was I was all in on becoming a mystery writer at that time. But uh, then uh, sort of through high school, I was doing that. And then I went to college. And uh, in college, I studied computer science, which uh, that was just purely because uh, uh, at that time, everybody was like, oh, you make all the money in computers. You're good at computers. So that's what you should do. <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I did that. But in doing that, in doing sort of a technical, uh, a technical college degree, 
it, uh, it didn't give me the, uh, the right kind of energy that I needed to continue writing, and it kind of pulled that kind of creativity out of me for a while. Mm-hmm. And so uh, throughout college, I really didn't do any writing, and it took a little while after college to get back around to it and mm-hmm. to kind of realize this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, I, I kind of knew it all along, but just it took a while to accept it. And then I finally got back into it. And by that time, I was really into fantasy and uh, coming up with worlds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's when I started writing epic fantasy and then uh, worked through some uh, through some world building for a long time and uh, developing stories. And then eventually I uh, started writing the series that I'm doing now. And uh, that's that's how I got to here. How did like what inspired like the current book that that just came out? How do you say I know greatest trick, obviously, but how do you say that I'm guessing it's the world name? Yeah, or well, something? it's um, the characters. Akathar is the okay. uh, name of a uh, magician that uh, is in the world. The world is called Teshavar. And uh, that's the uh, the name of the series is Teshavar. But the first book is Akathar's greatest trick. And uh, then there's also a prequel novella that I have available that is called The Gem of Tagath. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, the the start of that, uh, I had sort of an idea for uh, for something that I thought would be interesting as sort of a political setup and a, uh, a sort of a world state where there's this world that is uh, that magic exists in, but uh, it's ruled by a an ancient despot who has outlawed magic, and mm-hmm. uh, this this uh, ruler is magical, but has outlawed the use of magic for everyone else. And Mm -hmm. in the process of that has also outlawed religion and also um, all kinds of other things. So Mm -hmm. that kind of world state seemed interesting to me. And I started uh, getting ideas from there. But uh, specifically for the first book, I had an idea, well, in this world where magic is outlawed, uh, what about a story that is about a stage magician who is working in this world that is putting on stage shows, uh, mm-hmm. doing magic as entertainment, but not using real magic to do it? How would that sort of fit into this sort of world and political state? And uh, so it sort of grew from there for the first book and uh, mm-hmm. follows a, a theater group uh, in this world and uh, sort of how they bump up against the politics and against the uh, illegal magic and all of that. Okay, and now you fantasy writers are it's either one or the other. Obviously, you've created you know the character name and the world name. Did you? <laughs> I've I've narrated for one author who created like his own language in the book. Do you have um, beyond like names and stuff? Did you like? Do you have some language that you created, or is it the book mostly set in? Like people are going to know how to read it, or do they need a pronunciation guide? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. Uh, there, there actually there is a uh, a language that I've had to create for it. It's not a language that's used a lot in it, but there is uh, a language that is uh, sort of a holdover. It's left from uh, from ancient times in the world when when uh, magic was more readily used and was not illegal. It's uh, sort of the uh, the old language that the people who still use magic uh, know this language, but it's uh, it's not something you have to learn like Klingon or, <laughs> or something thing like that but um it uh, the the world the uh, writing i try to make it as accessible as possible and try to uh make it so that the uh, the world building while it does get a little bit complicated and complex it doesn't have to uh be something that has a huge learning curve it is the different things are kind of introduced uh, bit by bit as it goes along and um, I very much am an outliner when I write. I, uh, I can't do uh, what a lot of people call discovery writing or pantsing, where you just sort of make things up as you go along. Mm-hmm. I have 
have to uh, to outline everything in just as much detail as possible before I even start writing the first scene. Mm-hmm. So uh, with this series, I actually have a rough outline of the entire series already. And mm-hmm. then as I'm writing each book, I outline down to the scene level. Uh, when I start writing a scene, I already know in that scene what characters need to be there, what conversations need to happen, uh, what action needs to occur, and uh, where things need to end up. So, uh, so I'm very much a planner in that way. So in your plan, how many books is the series, you know, in your current plan supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the core series is uh, is set up to be a trilogy of trilogies. So that's nine books overall. But okay. uh, there are other things that I want to do with it. Like I have this prequel novella that I've written that I'm giving away for free to, uh, to people who join my mailing list. And so mm-hmm. that's an additional book that isn't part of the core nine. And there are other ideas for uh, some other sort of offshoot books that I want to write that some of them might be sort of standalones and some of them, uh, there might be uh, some uh, separate sh- sort of smaller, shorter series that mm-hmm. sprout up along the way. But the core series is set up to be nine books. And then uh, outside of that, other things can happen. <laughs> so it's kind of you have the the main series, but you're going to have little like bunny trails that we kind of take here and there with right. the yeah, characters yeah, the- as well. Yeah, the, the way that I'm kind of thinking about it and the way that uh, someone uh, kind of phrased it to me after they read the initial book was that uh, the way the world building is set up, it almost feels like uh, like I have built out a world for uh, like a role-playing campaign that has uh, <laughs> lots of lots of different elements to it, like different uh, classes almost that, uh, that would be interesting to explore mm-hmm. and uh, different corners of that universe that would be interesting to explore that, that maybe get touched on in the main series, but that uh, would be a lot more interesting interesting to explore with uh, something that would actually focus on them. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, I'd, I'd really like to write a book of short stories set in this world. And uh, I, I really have enjoyed reading uh, like Stephen King short stories. I just recently mm-hmm. read a, uh, a Clive Barker collection. I'm talking all about horror here, but this is fantasy yeah. that I'm writing. <laughs> but, yeah, Stephen King is definitely not happy fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but I would like to, uh, to write uh, a collection of short stories. I'd like to do some shorter works and quicker things because most most mm-hmm. of the uh, the books that I'm writing for the main series are uh, pretty huge books. Like the uh, the one that came out last year is uh, 170,000 words, and the mm-hmm. uh, the one that I'm working on right now is probably going to be about 200,000 words. So uh, so they're wow. pretty sizable, and I I like to have sort of shorter things in between to break that up because mm-hmm. uh, I I could feel like my uh, my brain would sort of fall out if I just went from one huge thing to another. Right, right. <laughs> So now you have so you have a a Kindle version and a hardcover version um, as a narrator. I have to ask, do you have plans um, or in the works of audiobook for at least the first book or right? Yeah. When you want to have it done? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, well, <laughs> well, right now I have um, I have the paperback hardcover and the uh, Kindle Unlimited, and uh, the next project that I'm planning after I finish drafting the book that I'm drafting now is to actually record the audiobook of the first one. Um, and I um, I work at my day job as I uh, as I call it is doing voiceover work, but I do mostly okay. ads and advertising and things like that. I um, I tend to avoid doing audiobooks because they are so hard. So big mm-hmm. big props to you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult, difficult work. But I am going to try recording. I've had a lot of requests from readers and also from folks on TikTok to mm-hmm. uh, to actually narrate my own book. And so I'm going to see how that goes. And if it, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with myself. And if it doesn't go well, then I'll have to look at some other options. But I'm going right. to uh, to see if I can do it myself and then just see how that goes. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm actually working on my own book, which is uh, fantasy, but more in like the superhero subgenre. Oh, okay. um, and so like I plan on and this is totally a control thing, but I'm like, I'm definitely narrating my own book just because I want it like the way that it was in my head while I wrote it. So yeah. <laughs> I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Uh, the control thing is a big reason that I went uh, indie with my publishing overall. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was a quick choice because I wanted to be able to choose my cover. I wanted to be able to determine when different formats are released. So I, I 100% mm-hmm. get that. So do you have a plan? Um, is, is book two done? Or are you just working on the shorter books now? Do you have a timeline for book two coming out? Yeah, I am writing book two right now, and uh, it will be coming out sometime this year. I don't have a de- uh, an actual date set for it yet. It's going to d- depend on uh, sort of how things are looking as the draft is finished up and then mm-hmm. how long editing takes and all of that. But you know, it will be coming this year. And uh, my plan is to release that this year and then to get the audiobook for book one done and get that out this year. And mm-hmm. uh, then to see what else I can get this year, I uh, would like to have a shorter workout this year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it'll it'll just depend on sort of how things all fall into place. And then after that, I'll be uh, getting to work on actually uh, uh, doing the initial planning and outlining and everything for book three, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I have. I know what's going to happen in book three because I've, I've done the, uh, the general outline for the whole series. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as breaking it down into chapters and scenes and all that, that uh, is what will ha- happen with uh, book three before. I start actually writing that one. So now you said that you like doing, um, how did this whole, I know you said you, you very in depth outline everything, but how, how exactly did you get to this storyline? Like what, like spawned the actual writing of this book? Was it something that you just thought, Hey, this would be cool. Or like how, how did like the, for example, the last author that I talked to, she had a dream that brought it about, um, Oh wow! I wish that would happen for me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. But what 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 spawned the idea for all of this? Yeah, there is uh, there's a core story that I I want to get told in the uh, the main nine books in the series Mm -hmm. that uh, that came to me that. it it started with the idea of the universe and the magic system and just that idea that I had and then just uh, sort of playing that out in my head. I, a lot of times I'll have my subconscious just kind of working through stories and coming up with ideas. And I don't really know where ideas come to me from, but I, I have ideas <laughs> just all the time. They just appear. Hey, and, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it would be nice to have just uh, just like a machine that you turn a crank and the ideas come out. <laughs> I have to tell you, man, if, if my ideas came to me from dreams, I have some pretty Stephen king-esque dreams that would be just weird so (laughs) yeah i can imagine yeah i i um i don't think i have um, have used ideas from dreams before but it'll just kind of come to me and it's usually a thing where i will have two separate things that i'm thinking about and Mm -hmm. i haven't really associated them together but in my subconscious suddenly they'll get connected somehow and i'll suddenly think oh hmm that would be interesting to explore. Well, what would happen if this, and I sort of play a game of, of what if in my head, and I'll say, well, if uh, we have this situation where magic is outlawed and there's this uh, guy who is a stage magician, then what would be the implications of this and that? And it sort of grows out of that. But uh, when I was initially sort of conceptualizing the series, I thought that 
the book that's going to be book four, I thought that was going to be the first book that I was going to write. And I actually started planning that a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, it, it sort of leads into some things that, uh, that will be at sort of the core of the story. But then mm-hmm. I realized that I needed to do a lot more world building. I needed to, to, uh, to do a lot more introductions to different yeah. concepts in the universe. And then uh, that sort of led me to realize that I needed uh, at least a few more books. So I decided to, okay, well, this is going to be a trilogy before mm-hmm. what I initially thought was going to be the start. And uh, then after that, everything sort of fell into place as far as uh, when things need to happen in the series and how things need to be structured out. And uh, and it sort of grew from there. But yeah, my, my ideas and uh, the initial sort of germ of a story, I never know where it's going to come from. It might be right. that I'm listening to a podcast and somebody, uh, as an example for this first book, um, I had the idea about a thing set around a theater where there was a magic show in this world where magic's illegal. Mm -hmm. And I had some story ideas going around that. But then I listened to, I just happened to listen to an episode of This American Life where they were talking about a heist that somebody pulled off. And I was thinking about that and I thought, oh, heist stories are pretty cool. And then I thought, (laughs) well, that that fits in perfectly with a hole that I was trying to fill here. So let's let's put a heist into this book. (laughs) And and so it just sort of, uh, it connects. And I don't know, uh, the I don't really know the alchemy of it. I don't know the hows or whys of it, but it it always just seems to come together. And then uh, I have these ideas. I, I tend to have way too many ideas, and I know I'll never get them all written, but uh, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> I feel like you need to partner with like an idea house. Here's the idea. Let someone else run with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I have a notebook that I, I keep my ideas in as I think of them, and it'll be uh, just like a one-line description or a couple of lines of description as I think of them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost sad how much stuff is in that notebook because I'm a fairly slow writer, and uh, compared at least to a lot of the people that I know on TikTok and a lot of other writers that I know, mm-hmm. but um, I will, I'll look through that book and I'll be like, gosh, I have some really fun ideas here. I'm never going to get around to all of these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at, at least you have options. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. It's, uh, it's kind of funny because um, some, uh, a lot of times people who are readers specifically, uh, one of the most common questions that I will get asked is where I get ideas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I actually, I made a TikTok video about this, uh, a while back, but uh, I think there's a, a concept that ideas are a sort of precious resource that mm-hmm. they're hard to come by, and that that's that's where everything come from, comes from. But it's really not the ideas are kind of a dime a dozen. It's really the execution of the ideas, and it's actually the follow through and right. how uh, how each individual writer uh, executes on that idea that is the hard part, and that turns it into what really matters. Uh, like uh, you can have uh, any number of ideas, but if you don't figure out a good way to get them into a book or story format, then right. it, it doesn't even matter. Well, I'll say like when when I was a kid, um, there was a movie on Disney Channel where the the girl would write in this like journal thing that she would have published and like none of her friends knew that like she was this author of this journal and uh, or like journal story thing that got published and uh, like from then, and that was I, I don't remember how old I was when that movie came out, but like that was when I first like started thinking, oh, it'd be cool to write a book. But like you said, I would have ideas and I would start writing and then it would just like fall flat. It's like, OK, I've got, you know, an idea, but I can't yeah. come up with the, the, the rest of the story. <laughs> like yeah, You can't yeah. develop a book based on like 
three sentences. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And and that's such a a common thing, too. Uh, I saw the statistic a while back. I can't remember the number, but it was well below 10% of people who start writing a book actually even Mm -hmm. finish the first draft. And it's because of things like that, that uh, they uh, will either get sidetracked by something or it's it's hard to develop it out into the full story. And, uh, and a lot of things can get in the way of that. But it's extremely rare for uh, for people to start writing a book and actually finish it. So uh, so with your writing, con- congratulations on progress and everything. That's that's uh, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, so far, so far, I'm about 50 pages in on the first draft. Like I have fully fledged in my head where it needs to go and like what I want it to do. The issue is time because I took on a few too many. So I, I just started narrating in September and like I auditioned for everything, fiction, mm-hmm. nonfiction, was willing to take whatever would pay me. So I'm like, you know, we'll take whatever. All I got hired on was nonfiction, nonfiction after nonfiction after nonfiction. And so eventually I just gave up on auditioning for fiction because no one wanted me. And then in January, after I had three nonfictions that I finished the week before Christmas, went on vacation for a week, came back, got COVID, had to take like four weeks off because my voice sounded very rough Mm -hmm. and then was like, well, we'll start, you know, if we're going to do five auditions a day, let's let two of those be fiction. And then I got like end of January, I booked my first fiction and then it was like dominoes. So That's awesome. Congratulations on that. So I'm like, I've been narrating since, I mean, since I was a kid, I have been narrating, like, you know, telling stories aloud and, you know, reading stories aloud and making character voices and stuff. But it's really only been since January that it's been a you know, official thing. So. Oh, yeah. so this is a new thing. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you, you definitely have the voice for it. And I, I certainly can uh, can hear you narrating books. And so I, I think you found the right thing to be in. Well, in, in part of this podcast, so at the end, not while we're on the on here, but um, I will read the blurb from your Amazon and there will be affiliate links for um, you have, I believe, books on your website. Do you do signed copies on your website? I am working on that. I It's kind of funny. I had been trying to figure out a way to do signed copies for a while, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of let that go by the wayside while I was doing other things. And then <laughs> uh, someone that I became friends with here on TikTok, uh, she's uh, Alex Reads Romance on uh, mm-hmm. TikTok here. She mm-hmm. uh, wanted a signed copy of my book, and she uh, she basically bullied me into figuring out how to do it. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'll, I'll so, be honest. I did that with the fiction books that I finished so far. I was like, so you need to send me a signed copy. <laughs> because I want this like collection. Now I I do not Freya is not my actual name. Um I mm-hmm. my day job can't have me associated with some of the books that I narrate. Right. And so I I use a pseudonym for for this, but I was like I want to have like this like secret secret collection of like all these books I've narrated that, you know, the authors signed these copies. So yeah, I've kind awesome. of bullied a few too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good bullying though and she um, yeah. yeah, she she got me to get uh, a copy and sign it for her and then after that was uh was telling me I should figure out a way to uh, do it through my website. So mm-hmm. I have in the works a way that people will be able to get signed paperbacks through my website. It's not quite okay. up yet, but uh, but it's on the to-do list. So hopefully within the next uh, within the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping to have something up there that that people can get signed copies there. All uh-huh. right, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I don't. I think most of the at least the ones that I've talked to, they just like ordered because they have the. I'm sure you have the KDP printing stuff for yours so they just like ordered a copy and had it shipped to them and then signed it and are shipping it to me (laughs) so yeah 
Yeah, what I uh, what I have done at this point, I uh, I went ahead and I've ordered uh, several copies. I ordered sort of a case of the books to have on hand. And mm-hmm. my plan is I'm going to set up a form on my website that uh, the people can uh, specify if they want me to personalize it or if they want it just uh, just a signature. And then if they want fast shipping or slow shipping, and there will be a couple <laughs> of different flat rates they can pay to uh, to just buy the book and it, it includes shipping. And mm-hmm. then I'll sign it and send it off. And then when I start running low on my supply here, I'll order another uh, box of them from Amazon and and sort of uh, keep my supply going here, but uh, but it'll depend on how quickly they go because I I really have no idea what the demand will be for signed books, but mm-hmm. uh, but I guess I'll need to find out quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jason's favorite movie when he was a kid was The Black Cauldron. The Black Cauldron is a 1985 American animated dark fantasy adventure film produced by Walt Disney Productions in association with Silver Screen Partners 2 and released by Walt Disney Pictures. The 25th Disney animated feature film, it is loosely based on the first two books in the Chronicles of Pridian by Lloyd Alexander, a series of five novels that are, in turn, based on Welsh mythology. Set in the mythical land of Pridian during the early Middle Ages, the film centers on a wicked emperor known as the Horned King, who hopes to secure an ancient magical cauldron that will aid him in his desire to conquer the world. He's opposed by young swineherd Taran the young princess Ailanwi, the harp-playing bard Fluterflam, and a friendly wild creature named Gurgi, who seek to destroy the cauldron to prevent the Horned King from ruling the world. Today we'll be reading one of the Welsh mythology stories. Don't forget we are also continuing the original story of Beauty and the Beast on our Patreon, Branwen the Daughter of Lear. Here is the second portion of the Mabinogi, Bendigaid Vran, the son of Lear, was the crowned king of this island, and he was exalted from the crown of London. And one afternoon, he was at Harlech in Ardidwy, at his court, and he sat upon the rock of Harlech, looking over the sea. And with him were his brother Manawydan, the son of Lear, and his brothers by the mother's side, Nician and Evanician, and many nobles likewise, as was fitting to see around a king. His two brothers by the mother's side were the sons of Euroswid, by his mother, Pernadun, the daughter of Beli, son of Menogen, and one of these youths was a good youth and of gentle nature, and would make peace between his kindred and cause his family to be friends when their wrath was at the highest. And this one was Nician, but the other would cause strife between his two brothers when they were most at peace. And as they sat thus, they beheld thirteen ships coming from the south of Ireland and making towards them, and they came with a swift motion, the wind being behind them, and they neared them rapidly. I see ships afar, said the king, coming swiftly towards the land. Command the men of the court that they equip themselves and go and learn their intent. So the men equipped themselves and went down towards them. And when they saw the ships near, certain were they that they had never seen ships better furnished. Beautiful flags of satin were upon them, and behold, one of the ships outstripped the others, and they saw a shield lifted up above the side of the ship, and the point of the shield was upwards, in token of peace, and the men drew near that they might hold converse. Then they put out boats and came towards the land, and they saluted the king. Now the king could hear them from the place where he was upon the rock above their heads. Heaven prosper you, said he, and be you welcome. To whom do these ships belong, and who is the chief amongst you? Lord, said they, Malthowich, king of Ireland is here, and these ships belong to him. Wherefore comes he, asked the king, and will he come to the land? He is a suitor unto thee, Lord, said they, and he will not land unless he have his boon. 
And what may that be? inquired the king. He desires to ally himself with thee, lord, said they, and he comes to ask Branwen, the daughter of Lear, that, if it seems well to thee, the island of the mighty may be leagued with Ireland, and both become more powerful. Verily, said he, let him come to land, and we will take counsel thereupon. And this answer was brought to Malthowich. I will go willingly, said he. So he landed, and they received him joyfully, and great was the throng in the palace that night, between his hosts and those of the court. And the next day they took counsel, and they resolved to bestow Branwen upon Malthowich. Now she was one of the three chief ladies of this island, and she was the fairest damsel in the world. And they fixed upon Aberfra as the place where she should become his bride. And they went thence, and toward Aberfra the hosts proceeded, Malthowich and his host in their ships. Bendigide ran and his host by land until they came to Aberfra. And at Aberfra they began the feast and sat down. And thus sat they, the king of the island of the mighty, and Menawiden the son of Lear on one side and Malthowich on the other side, and Branwen the daughter of Lear beside him. And they were not within a house, but under tents. No house could ever contain Bendigide Vran. And they began the banquet, and caroused and discoursed, and when it was more pleasing to them to sleep than to carouse, they went to rest. And that night Branwen became Malthowich's bride, and next day they arose. And all they of the court and the officers began to equip and to range the horses and the attendants and they ranged them in order as far as the sea. And behold, one day, Evniusian, the quarrelsome man of whom it is spoken above, came by chance into the place where the horses of Malthowich were, and asked whose horses they might be. They are the horses of Malthowich, king of Ireland, who is married to Branwen, thy sister. His horses are they. And is it thus they have done with a maiden such as she? And moreover, my sister bestowing her without my consent. They could have offered no greater insult to me than this, said he. And thereupon he rushed under the horses and cut off their lips at the teeth and their ears close to their heads and their tails close to their backs. And wherever he could clutch their eyelids, he cut them to the very bone and he disfigured the horses and rendered them useless. And they came with these tidings unto Malthowich, saying that the horses were disfigured and injured so that not one of them could ever be of any use again. Verily, Lord, said one, it was an insult unto thee and as such was it meant. Of a truth, it is a marvel to me that if they desire to insult me, they should have given me a maiden of such high rank and so much beloved of her kindred as they have done. Lord, said another, thou seest that thus it is, and there is nothing for thee to do but to go to thy ships. And thereupon towards his ships he set out. And tidings came to Bendigide Vran that Malthowich was quitting the court without asking leave, and messengers were sent to inquire of him wherefore he did so. And the messengers that went were Idic the son of Inardwid, and Heviad here. And these overtook him and asked of him what he designed to do and wherefore he went forth. Of a truth, said he, if I had known I had not come hither, I have been altogether insulted. No one had ever worse treatment than I have had here. But one thing surprises me above all. What is that? asked they. That Branwen, the daughter of Lear, one of the three chief ladies of this island, and the daughter of the king of the island of the mighty, should have been given me as a bride, and that after that I should have been insulted, and I marveled that the insult was not done me before they had bestowed upon me a maiden so exalted as she. Truly, Lord, it was not the will of any that are of the court, said they, nor of any that are of the council that thou shouldest have received this insult. And as thou hast been insulted, the dishonor is greater unto Bendigide Vran than unto thee. Verily, said he, I think so. Nevertheless, he cannot recall the insult. 
These men returned with that answer to the place where Bendigard Vran was, and they told him what reply Malthowich had given them. Truly, said he, there are no means by which we may prevent his going away at enmity with us that we will not take. Well, Lord, said they, send after him another embassy. I will do so, said he. Arise, Manawiden, son of Lear, and Heviad here, and eunuch glue Yiswid, and go after him and tell him that he shall have a sound horse for every one that has been injured. And beside that, as an atonement for the insult, he shall have a staff of silver as large and as tall as himself, and a plate of gold of the breadth of his face. And show unto him who it was that did this, and that it was done against my will, but that he who did it is my brother by the mother's side. And therefore it would be hard for me to put him to death. And let him come and meet me, said he, and we will make peace in any way he may desire. The embassy went after Malthowich and told him all these sayings in a friendly manner, and he listened thereunto. Men, said he, I will take counsel. So to the council he went. And in the council they considered that if they should refuse this, they were likely to have more shame rather than to obtain so great an atonement. They resolved therefore to accept it, and they returned to the court in peace. Then the pavilions and the tents were set in order after the fashion of a hall, and they went to meet. And as they had sat at the beginning of the feast, so sat they there. And Malthowich and Bendigide Fran began to discourse. And behold, it seemed to Bendigide Fran, while they talked, that Malthowich was not so cheerful as he had been before. And he thought that the chieftain might be sad, because of the smallness of the atonement which he had, for the wrong that had been done him. Oh man, said Bendigide Vran, thou dost not discourse tonight so cheerfully as thou wast wont. And if it be because of the smallness of the atonement, thou shalt add thereunto whatsoever thou mayest choose, and tomorrow I will pay thee the horses. Lord, said he, heaven reward thee. And I will enhance the atonement, said Bendigide Vran, for I will give unto thee a cauldron the property of which is that if one of thy men be slain today and be cast therein, tomorrow he will be as well as ever he was at the best, except that he will not regain his speech. And thereupon he gave him great thanks, and very joyful was he for that cause. And the next morning they paid Mouthwitch the horses as long as the trained horses lasted, and then they journeyed into another kamat, where they paid him with colts until the whole had been paid. And from thenceforth that kamat was called Telebolian, and a second night sat they together. My lord, said Malthowich, whence hast thou the cauldron which thou hast given me? I had it of a man who had been in thy land, said he, and I would not give it except to one from there. Who was it? asked he. Lusar Lesguinawid? He came here from Ireland with Kaimidyu Kaminyeval, his wife, who escaped from the iron house in Ireland when it was made red hot around them and fled hither. And it is a marvel to me that thou shouldst know nothing concerning the matter. Something I do know, said he, and as much as I know, I will tell thee. One day I was hunting in Ireland, and I came to the mound at the head of the lake, which is called the Lake of the Cauldron, and I beheld a huge yellow-haired man coming from the lake with a cauldron upon his back, and he was a man of vast size and of horrid aspect, and a woman followed after him. And if the man was tall, twice as large as he was the woman, and they came towards me and greeted me. Verily, asked I, wherefore are you journeying? Behold this, he said to me, is the cause that we journey. At the end of a month and a fortnight, this woman will have a son, and the child that will be born at the end of the month and the fortnight will be a warrior fully armed. So I took them with me and maintained them, and they were with me for a year. And that year I had them with me not grudgingly, but thenceforth was their murmuring, because that they were with me. 
For from the beginning of the fourth month, they had begun to make themselves hated and to be disorderly in the land, committing outrages, and molesting and harassing the nobles and ladies, and thenceforward my people rose up and besought me to part with them, and they bade me to choose between them and my dominions. And I applied to the council of my country to know what should be done concerning them, for of their own free will they would not go, neither could they be compelled against their will through fighting, and... The people of the country being in this strait, they caused a chamber to be made all of iron. Now when the chamber was ready, there came there every smith that was in Ireland, and every one who owned tongs and hammer, and they caused coals to be piled up as high as the top of the chamber, and they had the man and the woman and the children served with plenty of meat and drink. But when it was known that they were drunk, they began to put fire to the coals about the chamber, and they blew it with bellows until the house was red hot all around them. Then was there a council held in the center of the floor of the chamber, and the man tarried until the plates of iron were all of a white heat. And then, by reason of the great heat, the man dashed against the plates with his shoulder and struck them out, and his wife followed him. But except him and his wife, none escaped thence. And then I suppose, Lord, said Mouthwitch unto Bendigide Vran, that he came over unto thee? Doubtless he came here, said he, and gave unto me the cauldron. In what manner didst thou receive them? I disperse them through every part of my dominions, and they have become numerous and are prospering everywhere, and they fortify the places where they are with men and arms of the best that were ever seen. That night they continued to discourse as much as they would, and had minstrelsy and carousing, and when it was more pleasant to them to sleep than to sit longer, they went to rest. And thus was the banquet carried on with joyousness. And when it was finished, Mouthowitch journeyed towards Ireland and Branwen with him, and they went from Aber Menai with thirteen ships and came to Ireland. And in Ireland was their great joy because of their coming. And not one great man or noble lady visited Branwen unto whom she gave not either a clasp or a ring or a royal jewel to keep, such as it was honorable to be seen departing with. And in these things she spent that year in much renown, and she passed her time pleasantly, enjoying honor and friendship. And in the meanwhile it chanced that she became pregnant, and in due time a son was born unto her, and the name that they gave him was Gwern the son of Mouthwitch. And they put the boy out to be foster-nursed in a place where were the best men of Ireland. And behold, in the second year a tumult arose in Ireland on account of the insult which Mouthwitch had received in Cambria, and the payment made for his horses. And his foster-brothers, and such as were nearest unto him, blamed him openly for that matter and he might have no peace by reason of the tumult until they should revenge upon him this disgrace. And the vengeance which they took was to drive away Branwen from the same chamber with him, and to make her cook for the court. And they caused the butcher after he had cut up the meat to come to her and give her every day a blow on the ear, and such they made her punishment. Verily, Lord, said his men to Mouthwitch, forbid now the ships and the ferry boats and the coracles that they go not into Cambria and such as come over from Cambria hither. Imprison them that they go not back for this thing to be known there. And he did so. And it was thus for not less than three years. And Branwen reared a starling in the cover of the kneading trough, and she taught it to speak. And she taught the bird what manner of man her brother was. And she wrote a letter of her woes and the despite with which she was treated. And she bound the letter to the root of the bird's wing and sent it toward Britain. And the bird came to this island. And one day it found Bendigide Vran at Seyr-Siort in Arvin, conferring there, and it alighted upon his shoulder and ruffled its feathers, so that the letter was seen. And they knew that the bird had been reared in a domestic manner. 
Then Bendigide Vran took the letter and looked upon it. And when he had read the letter, he grieved exceedingly at the tidings of Branwen's woes. And immediately he began sending messengers to summon the islands together. And he caused seven score and four countries to come unto him, and he complained to them himself of the grief that his sister endured. So they took counsel. And in the council they resolved to go to Ireland and to leave seven men as princes here and Cardewick, the son of Bran, and the chief of them and their seven knights. In Edignan were these men left, and for this reason were the seven knights placed in the town. Now the names of these seven men were Cardewick, the son of Bran, and Heviad here, and Eunuch Glue Yiswid, and Idic the son of Anawick, Gwaltan, and Fodor the son of Evelier, and Gwiliach Minisjorn, and Lassar the son of Lesiar Lissuguid, and Penderin David as young page with them. And these abode as seven ministers to take charge of this island, and Cardewick the son of Bran was the chief amongst them. Bendigide Vran, with the host of which we spoke, sailed towards Ireland, and it was not far across the sea, and he came to Shoalwater. It was caused by two rivers, the Lee and the Arken were they called, and the nations covered the sea. Then he proceeded with what provisions he had on his own back and approached the shore of Ireland. Now the swine herds of Mouthowich were upon the seashore, and they came to Mouthowich. Lord, said they, greeting be unto thee. Heaven protect you, said he. Have you any news? Lord, said they, we have marvelous news. A wood we have seen upon the sea in a place where we never yet saw a single tree. This is indeed a marvel, said he. Saw you aught else? We saw, Lord, said they, a vast mountain beside the wood which moved. And there was a lofty ridge on the top of the mountain and a lake on each side of the ridge. And the wood and the mountain and all these things moved. Verily, said he, there is none who can know aught concerning this unless it be Branwen. Messengers then went unto Branwen. Lady, said they, what thinkest thou that this is? The men of the island of the mighty who have come hither on hearing of my ill treatment and my woes. What is the forest that is seen upon the sea? asked they. The yards and the masts of ships, she answered. Alas, said they, what is the mountain that is seen by the side of the ships? Bendigide Vran, my brother, she replied, coming to Shoalwater, there is no ship that can contain him in it. What is the lofty ridge with the lake on each side thereof? On looking towards this island, he is wroth, and his two eyes, one on each side of his nose, are the two lakes beside the ridge. The warriors and the chiefmen of Ireland were brought together in haste, and they took counsel. Lord, said the nobles unto Mouthowich, there is no other counsel than to retreat over the linen, a river which is in Ireland, and to keep the river between thee and him, and to break down the bridge that is across the river. For there is a lodestone at the bottom of the river that neither ship nor vessel can pass over. So they retreated across the river and broke down the bridge. Bendigide Vran came to land, and the fleet with him by the bank of the river. Lord, said his chieftains, knowest thou the nature of this river that nothing can go across it, and there is no bridge over it? What, said they, is thy counsel concerning a bridge? There is none, said he, except that he who will be chief, let him be a bridge. And I will be so, said he, and then was that saying the first uttered, and it is still used as a proverb. And when he had lain down across the river, hurdles were placed upon him, and the host passed over thereby. And as he rose up, behold, the messengers of Mouthowich came to him and saluted him and gave him greeting in the name of Mouthowich, his kinsman, and showed how that of his good will he had merited of him nothing but good. For Mouthowich has given the kingdom of Ireland to Gwern, the son of Mouthowich, thy nephew and thy sister's son. And this he places before thee as a compensation for the wrong, and despite that has been done unto Branwen. And Mouthowich shall be maintained wheresoever thou wilt, 
either here or in the island of the mighty, said Bendigide Fran. Shall not I myself have the kingdom? Then peradventure I may take counsel concerning your message. From this time until then, no answer will you get from me. Verily, said they, the best message that we receive for thee, we will convey it unto thee, and do thou await our message unto him. I will wait, answered he, and do you return quickly. The messengers set forth and came to Mouthowich. Lord, said they, prepare a better message for Bendigide Vran. He would not listen at all to the message that we bore him. My friends, said Mouthowich, what may be your counsel? Lord, said they, there is no other counsel than this alone. He was never known to be within a house. Make therefore a house that will contain him and the men of the island of the mighty on the one side and thyself and thy host on the other and give over thy kingdom to his will and do him homage. So by reason of the honor thou dost him in making him a house, whereas he never before had a house to contain him, he will make peace with thee. So the messengers went back to Bendigide Vran bearing him this message and he took counsel. And in the council it was resolved that he should accept this. And this was all done by the advice of Branwen, and lest the country should be destroyed. And this peace was made. And the house was built both vast and strong. But the Irish planned a crafty device, and the craft was that they should put brackets on each side of the hundred pillars that were in the house, and should place a leathern bag on each bracket, and an armed man in every one of them. Then Evniason came in before the host of the Island of the Mighty, and scanned the house with fierce and savage looks and described the leathern bags which were around the pillars. What is in this bag? asked he of one of the Irish. Meal, good soul, said he, and Evansian felt about it until he came to the man's head, and he squeezed the head until he felt his fingers meet together in the brain through the bone. And he left that one and put his hand upon another and asked what was therein. Meal, said the Irishman, so he did the like unto every one of them until he had not left alive of all the two hundred men save one only. And when he came to him, he asked what was there. Meal, good soul, said the Irishman. And he felt about until he felt the head. And he squeezed that head as he had done the others. And albeit he found that the head of this one was armed. He left him not until he had killed him, and then he sang in England. There is in this bag a different sort of meal, the ready combatant when the assault is made, by his fellow warriors prepared for battle. Thereupon came the hosts unto the house. The men of the island of Ireland entered the house on the one side, and the men of the island of the mighty on the other. And as soon as they had sat down, there was concord between them, and the sovereignty was conferred upon the boy. When the peace was concluded, Bendigide Vran called the boy unto him, and from Bendigide Vran the boy went unto Mandawendin, and he was beloved by all that beheld him. And from Mandawindin the boy was called by Nissian the son of Uriswid, and the boy went unto him lovingly. Wherefore, said Ivanician, come not my nephew, the son of my sister, unto me. Though he were not king of Ireland, yet willingly would I fondle the boy. Cheerfully let him go to thee, said Bendigide Fran, and the boy went unto him cheerfully. By my confession to heaven, said Ivanician in his heart, unthought of by the household, it is slaughter that I will this instant commit. Then he arose and took up the boy by the feet. And before anyone in the house could seize hold of him, he thrust the boy headlong into the blazing fire. And when Branwen saw her son burning in the fire, she strove to leap into the fire also from the place where she sat between her two brothers. But Bendigide Vran grasped her with one hand and his shield with the other. Then they all hurried about the house, and never was there made so great a tumult by any host in one house as was made by them, as each man armed himself. Then said Mordaitwilon, The gadflies of Mordaitwilon's cow. And while they all sought their arms, Bendigide Vran supported Branwen between his shield and his shoulder. 
And the Irish kindled a fire under the cauldron of renovation. And they cast the dead bodies into the cauldron until it was full. And the next day they came forth fighting men as good as before, except that they were not able to speak. Then when Evanician saw the dead bodies of the men of the island of the mighty nowhere resuscitated, he said in his heart, Alas, woe is me that I should have been the cause of bringing the men of the island of the mighty into so great a strait. Evil betide me if I find not a deliverance therefrom. And he cast himself among the dead bodies of the Irish. And two unshod Irishmen came to him, and taking him to be one of the Irish, flung him into the cauldron. And he stretched himself out in the cauldron, so that he rent the cauldron into four pieces and burst his own heart also. In consequence of that, the men of the island of the mighty obtained such success as they had, but they were not victorious, for only seven men of them all escaped. And Bendigide Vran himself was wounded in the foot with a poisoned dart. Now the seven men that escaped were Pridery, Menawiden, Glenuil Iltaren, Talesian, Nuak, Grudian the son of Muriel, and Hylian the son of Gwynin-Hen. And Bendigide Vran commanded them that they should cut off his head. And take you my head, said he, and bear it even unto the White Mount in London, and bury it there with the face towards France. And a long time will you be upon the road. In Harlech you will be feasting seven years, the birds of Rhiannon singing unto you all the while. And all that time the head will be to you as pleasant company as it ever was when on my body. And at Gwales and Penrow you will be fourscore years, and you may remain there and the heads with you uncorrupted until you open the door that looks towards Aberhenvlen and towards Cornwall. And after you have opened that door, there you may no longer tarry, set forth then to London to bury the head and go straight forward. So they cut off his head. And these seven went forward therewith. And Branwen was the eighth with them, and they came to land at Aber Aloha in Talablolian, and they sat down to rest. And Branwen looked towards Ireland and towards the island of the mighty to see if she could descry them. Alas, said she, woe is me that I was ever born. Two islands have been destroyed because of me. Then she uttered a loud groan, and there broke her heart. And they made her a four-sided grave and buried her upon the banks of the Allah. And the seven men journeyed forwards toward Harlech, bearing the head with them, and as they went, behold, there met them a multitude of men and of women. Have you any tidings? asked Mendewiden. We have none, said they, save that Casawalan, the son of Beli, has conquered the island of the mighty and is crowned king in London. What has become, said they, of Cardewek, the son of Bran, and the seven men who were left with him in this island? Casawalwen came upon them and slew six of the men, and Cardewek's heart broke for grief thereof for he could see the sword that slew the men, but knew not who it was that wielded it. Caswellawen had flung upon him the veil of illusion, so that no one could see him slay the men, but the sword only could they see. And it liked him not to slay Cardewick, because he was the nephew, the son of his cousin. And now he was the third whose heart had broke through grief. Penderin Diavid, who had remained as a young page with these men, escaped into the wood, said they. And they went on to Harlech, and there stopped to rest, and they provided meat and liquor, and sat down to eat and to drink. And there came three birds, and began singing unto them a certain song. And all the songs they had ever heard were unpleasant compared thereto. And the birds seemed to them to be at a great distance from them over the sea. Yet they appeared as distinct as if they were close by, and at this repast they continued seven years. And at the close of the seventh year they went forth to Gwales and Penrow. And there they found a fair and regal spot overlooking the ocean, and a spacious hall was therein. And they went into the hall. And two of its doors were open, but the third door was closed, that which looked towards Cornwall. See yonder, said Mendewiden, is the door that we may not open. And that night they regaled themselves and were joyful. 
and of all they had seen of food laid before them, and of all they had heard of, they remembered nothing, neither of that, nor of any sorrow whatsoever. And there they remained fourscore years, unconscious of having ever spent a time more joyous and mirthful, and they were not more weary than when first they came, neither did they any of them know the time they had been there. And it was not more irksome to them having the head with them than if Bengard Vran had been with them himself. And because of these fourscore years, it was called the entertaining of the noble head. The entertaining of Branwen and Malthowich was in the time that they went to Ireland. One day said Helian, the son of Gwyn, Evil betide me if I do not open the door to know if that is true which is said concerning it. So he opened the door and looked towards Cornwall and Eberhevelin. And when they had looked, they were as conscious of all the evils they had ever sustained and of all the friends and companions they had lost, and of all the misery that had befallen them as if all had happened in that very spot, and especially of the fate of their lord. And because of their perturbation, they could not rest, but journeyed forth with the head towards London, and they buried the head in the White Mount. And when it was buried, this was the third goodly concealment, and it was the third ill-fated disclosure when it was disinterred. Inasmuch as no invasion from across the sea came to this island while the head was in that concealment. And thus is the story related of those who journeyed over from Ireland. In Ireland, none of them were left alive except five pregnant women in a cave in the Irish wilderness. And to these five women, in the same night, were born five sons, whom they nursed until they became grown up youths, and they thought about wives. And they at the same time desired to possess them, and each took a wife of the mothers of their companions, and they governed the country and peopled it. And these five divided it amongst them. And because of this partition are the five divisions of Ireland still so termed. And they examined the land where the battles had taken place. And they found gold and silver until they became wealthy. And thus ends this portion of the Mabinogi, concerning the blow given to Branwen, which was the third unhappy blow of this island. And concerning the entertainment of Bran, when the hosts of seven score countries and ten went over to Ireland to revenge the blow given to Branwen and concerning the seven years' banquet in Harlech, and the singing of the birds of Rhiannon, and the sojourning of the head for the space of fourscore years. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Jason's journey to holding his own fairy tale in his hands, and to hear another Welsh mythology story.